Welcome back to the PeleCast. With me today is Alexandre, a good friend of mine from uh, the Lakewood days. We went to from the Lakewood days, indeed, the Lakewood days. We went to university together, and we both studied a lot of literature. And I would say it was with Alex that I journeyed for my first time through the realm of learning that everything you know is kind of wrong, kind of a lie told to you by a system that wants you to be complacent and consuming. And so it's been a long journey since then. That was what, 10, 12 years ago or so. And uh, Alex, you've always been kind of a weird friend slash mentor to me because you always thought the most critically of anyone I knew for a long time and you were very vocal and expressive about it. And now that Pele Network is working on bringing the discussion of what is media, what is its role in society, how do we how do we take in information as a society, all this stuff, it only feels natural that you and I talk uh, and potentially uh, you help us uh, rework the white paper, which is something we've also discussed. But anyway, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here, man. <laughs> How would you introduce yourself? Do you have an oh, identity? <laughs> what, in these fluid days? I'm not so sure anymore. But um, I suppose I have somewhat of an identity. Uh, well, I, I usually start with a, with the basics of, you know, like... Um, nationality and all of that shit right so i was i was born in sweden i'm half french half bolivian uh, yeah <laughs> yeah half breton actually which is minority within france that's more oh it's celtic so it's closest uh, relative peoples is the cornish and the welsh so you know the story of king arthur and that that's the folk tales of of my mother's people basically and um well, the king tales, I suppose. And then on my father's side, we're not too sure exactly what it is, but it's a bunch of uh, Indian and uh, maybe some other bits as well. So, uh, and me, well, then I went to English school. I went first, I went to Catholic school. That's quite important, actually, <laughs> uh, on this topic, because uh, that's where I ventured into literature, I think. Well, besides having a mother who was obsessed with literature. And uh, you had that gigantic black book on the bookshelf, which was the complete works of William Shakespeare. And that was always, uh, you know, the book that I looked at. I was like, oh, shit, one day I'm going to be that. <laughs> uh, still haven't gotten quite there. I, I don't think I've read everything he's he's written, but quite a bit of it now. Um, so, so you grew Catholic up. School, yeah. You grew up speaking yeah. how many languages? Four. You grew up speaking four. How many do you speak now? Uh, four and, 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 and a bit, you know, like I can, I can, um, carry a simple conversation in German. I can understand quite a lot of it and, you know, can make myself understood a bit and, and Italian somewhat as well. I understand almost everything they say. So, it's, and do you read and consume media and all those languages? I would say mostly in English, uh, but in Swedish as well, obviously I still, I live in Sweden now, um, I lived in the UK and the US, obviously, where we met. And a uh, short period in France, like a year when I was a kid. Uh, I did preschool here. And uh, and then uh, I did a semester of university in Lyon in, in southern part of France. Um, so um, mostly mostly English, English-speaking media, I would say. It's mostly British and American and uh, a bit Swedish as well. 
So you've spent a lot of time, a lot of your years, I know, writing a lot. What do you do professionally right now? Are you still working for the TV channel in Sweden? No, 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 not anymore. Um, yeah, I did that for a while. Worked for Swedish radio as well, actually. Um, but um, I am a, a, a press officer, press manager, you know, um, press relations. And I do that part-time at a um, culture hub. In the, on the outskirts of Stockholm, and then uh, the rest of the time I'm uh, developing screenplays, writing. Yeah, yeah, writing. writing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So as a, a press writing, a press yeah. manager, so your job is to give an image to the public of a brand. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Right. So this is a topic I think is. I suppose it's spoken a lot of in circles such as your own or of people building a brand and needing to put an image out there, especially at scale. But I think a lot of us don't really realize what goes into building a brand and how it's communicated and what that logo or that name is going to mean to people later on, especially when it comes down to uh, newsworthy stories coming out uh, that could make or break your relationship or your faith or your confidence in that brand. And this we see happen a lot in politics. We see it happen with, uh, who knows, environmental decisions or something like this. But our, our, our faith in brands is kind of tested sometimes when we hear stories. And it really does boil down to the relationship we've built thanks to their press. Would you have anything to add to that? Or amend? No, no, no. Well, I think, I think there's an expression that says you're only as good as your last story. And I can think that speaks... A little bit to that you know the credibility of well that's more in relation to news media i suppose but but it's the same thing i think for a, for a company and hence that's why you have a press officer basically and usually press officers or press managers are generally uh, people who's, who've worked in journalism like myself yeah right mm. how would you compare so let's talk about the pandemic real quick i remember a year ago and whatnot Sweden was like controversial because they didn't, you didn't do a lockdown, right? Did you guys do masks? Yeah. Well, it was, it, it, there's, there's like an institution for public health in Sweden, right? So the, the guy who heads it up is politically appointed, but institutions in Sweden, like public institutions have, uh, they have a lot of leeway doing their own shit, you know, so, so that politics can't interfere with what they're doing. You know, they have a mandate. And, and so the guy who does that in Sweden, uh, Anders Tegnell, he's become somewhat of a pop star, you know, like uh, since the pandemic. Oh, here's my sister and her child coming. Bonsoir. Uh, bonsoir. <laughs> and, yeah, and so um, he's become somewhat of a yeah pop pop slash rock star um, celebrity. People are getting tattoos of this man. It's it's on that level, right? Uh, it's a lot of because he didn't do a lockdown. Now. Or yeah, well, yeah, well, he was against the masks first. He said, well, there's no uh, no evidence-based science uh, to support that masks are going to help prevent this, blah, blah, blah. So he's now that. it's, yeah, yeah. But now, though, it's it's kind of recommended when you go into certain certain spaces, I suppose. But I don't think there's a, there's a, there's, there's no law regulating it. No enforcement. So, no, no, not really. And would you say a lot of people wear their masks? No. Oh, no, I wouldn't say never. That, no. no. And not in Sweden. No. Interesting. So, I mean, I have plenty of questions because to me, this whole pandemic thing has been one big 
information war based on what your sources of information are, uh, what your sources of stories are, of news. And once again, Pele Network boils down to how can we fix storytelling in the world? And one of our initial questions we always wanted to ask was journalism. How can we fix journalism? And one of the tools we came up with was essentially designed to help creators come up with an idea, pitch the idea, and find the team and the resources necessary to make that idea happen. So if I'm a journalist and I have this idea to explore a topic and you know I need funding for this many months of my life and this is what I'm going to do, here's my previous work, You know how can we make those stories still be able to be told without needing some big mainstream media network behind it to decide that it's something that's in their best interests to, to publish, right? So... When it comes to the pandemic and everything happening, especially here in the United States, everything has just been one news story after another of clickbait, of of sensational headlines to get people mad at their neighbors. And a lot of just like, not lies, but poorly, poorly conveyed information to make it sound like it, there's some facts that are just not true to make it seem like those are true. Uh, and I've seen it happen all over the spectrum. It doesn't matter if it's left or right. There's there's just sensationalist story headlines being put everywhere. So when I hear about you say, yeah, this guy in Sweden, uh, he was kind of immune based on correct me if I'm wrong, if I understood this, but based on how the public institution of health, for example, is set up in Sweden, it's immune from politics, from being politicized. This guy's career doesn't hang in the balance and the decisions or recommendations he makes in his position has nothing to do with the rest of the political sphere. Now, yeah, that's right. He's, he's also, uh, he's, he's an epidemiologist, right? So his specialty is epidemics basically. Mm -hmm. So now what would happen if the media, he's a scientist, basically. Did the media try to blast him? I mean, what is the media landscape in Sweden? Like here we know most of the media and stories are all owned by big six companies, basically. What happens in Sweden uh, with the media? Did they try to rip him? Were they trying to put forth an agenda or? Well, the the thing is... We have lost... Well, so that I've worked for Swedish, Swedish television or Swedish radio... They're uh, uh, up until recently, they weren't even publicly funded, so to speak, because they um, they were allocated uh, funds via a, a charge that goes that anyone who owns a TV uh, has to pay pay that charge, basically. So that's how it was funded. It wasn't funded directly from politics. Only recently has it become uh, funded through taxes because they were having, um, well, financial issues, I suppose. But. But that network, or that's a series of networks, um, is is probably the biggest one in the country. So, um, like America, you you don't have your Foxes or you know like New York Times or blah blah blah. I mean, there are networks and and newspapers that are big, but they're not as big, I would say, as the public broadcaster. And the public broadcaster, well, like I said, up until recently, was wasn't uh, controlled by politics. So. It's uh, it's still not, you know, it's still not. But they can, of course, defund it if they choose to remove that tax thing. But then I, I suppose it would just go back to, you know, um, a fee based. Um, okay, system. so it's no longer a taxpayer funded entity like it was before. Is that what you're saying? No, 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 no. It's the other way around. It is now. Now it's tax funded. 
It wasn't okay. before. Yeah. But so there's there's high confidence in this uh, network. And, um, well, they try to uh, be fair and balanced between the different political parties and so on. So they get, you know, their fair share of time and so on. Right. And this is also a country uh, with many political parties. Yes, that's right. How many political parties uh, does Sweden have? I mean, uh, I would well, power. the ones that are in yeah. the ones that are in the the Riksdag, which is the the well, it would be the equivalent of both the Senate and the House for you, for Americans. Um, uh, it's um, you have uh, the biggest ones, the Social Democrats, uh, which is a center left uh, party. You have uh, the Moderates, which are a center right party. Uh, liberals, which are also center-right. Um, you have uh, the the left, which is, um, well, left, yeah. <laughs> uh, you have the Miljöpartiet, the which is the, the Greens, basically the environmentalists. And, uh, and then you have the Sweden Democrats, who are um, <laughs> much maligned and, you know, perhaps for good reasons as well. Uh, what about the Pirate they, Party? Well, they're not in the Riksdag, but, oh, no. but they do. No, no, they're not. But they, I think they might have some, some posts on a local level level somewhere, but, uh-huh. but not in the Riksdag. Yeah, not in, on the national level. No. It's crazy how inconceivable it is for Americans to imagine more than two parties actually all in yeah. there making decisions together. <laughs> I mean, they're actually making decisions together, which is more than they can say about a two-party system here. Yeah. Yeah, you have to work across the aisles because nobody has a full majority, right? So that's how right. it goes. So would you say yeah. that makes for a healthier democracy? Uh, I think there are pros and cons. I mean, I'm not an expert, but um, Sweden seems to work fairly okay. You know, it's on a global level. If you compare Sweden to many countries, I, I would say it's a healthier democracy than, than most. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So what happens when I imagine each of these political parties has their own media network, for example, and do they try to smear or, you know, bash these other parties and make them look bad? Or do we see the same kind of antagonizing just like I would actually I think the question boils down to do those media networks work as hard to divide the Swedish populace between each other and separate them and think that they're enemies of their neighbors? Do we see that same kind of behavior? Well, I, th- I think, you know, to to a lesser degree, um, that's always true of political parties and how they interact with each other. You always want to say they're fucking wrong, you know, and uh, <laughs> they're lying to you and blah, blah, blah. This is the truth. This is what you should do. This is better for you, blah, blah, blah. I, I would say the, the party that does resemble the American system the most when it comes to um, how they use the media and so on is the Sweden Democrats. They're also the newest party uh, in the Riksdag. Uh-oh. Anything reminiscent yeah. of an American party. I run for the hills. Yeah, I think there's a lot of misconceptions Americans have about European par- politics in general and Every time I've spent time with, you know, folks like yourselves in Europe, I'm always really impressed with just the knowledge and the presence that everyone keeps up with what's going on politically. And there's still a, a degree of activism, activism, even for people that are past the university stage, people that, you know, take part and do their part beyond just kind of voting. And that's something that I think a whole generation or two lost over here. And now we're dealing with the consequences. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, maybe maybe to a certain extent that's true, but I would I would say uh, most Swedes are not that involved either. I would say there is there is a difference, uh, well, an important difference on this subject between the Swedish and the American population, and that's that Swedes, as as a rule, have high confidence in the state, whereas Americans don't. Right? Mm -hmm. They're very uh, mistrusting or suspicious of government. Right? Even even the the, the American left whatever you could call it american left I, I suppose that would be the democrats but they're not really left either. yeah that's our heritage um, here yeah 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 it is and I, and I mean you know for perhaps for good reason you know because they're well the, the american population has had more reason to mistrust government than the uh, the swedish one has perhaps and and uh, because the Sw social democrats were very successful throughout the past century um and got a lot of things done with welfare and you know um, free education, all of that, and were extremely well working hours, union rights, and and so on. Right, we're very successful with that, and so I think that created high confidence in government. Uh, and they were dominating the political uh, the political scene for nearly a hundred years. Wow, you know? yeah, but for good reason. Well, yeah, they were doing great stuff, so they kept getting reelected. You know, it was basically landslides, you know, for a very long time. So nobody else stood a chance, and and they were delivering on their promises because of that as well. Yeah. So people are getting tattoos of this health minister guy who didn't want a lockdown. Was there was there political differences in how the pandemic should be treated in Sweden locally? Yeah, a, a lot of people thought he wasn't doing enough. A lot of people thought because the rest of the world is is you know mandating masks, masks and, and other measures, why aren't we doing that? Shouldn't we be doing that? You know, there was a lot of that, and I think, um, well, again, the Sweden Democrats were quite anti, you know, his measures and blah blah blah. And, but then you know, like I guess that Sweden had somewhat high numbers. Uh, but that wasn't really due to uh, to his measures. It was rather a mistake with um, elderly people's uh, homes, you know, retirement homes, hmm. uh, and um, uh, sanitary barrier or whatever you call that. You know, um, the measures that were in place there to to protect old people were not the best. You know, right, right, so right. and and they they were also the people most at risk, I suppose. So what we were talking about the other day, which led me to realizing we needed to do a podcast episode, was the present presentation of misinformation, especially in the form of conspiracy theories. I mentioned earlier that, you know, when you and I were hanging out in college, that was definitely my heyday of getting into conspiracy theories. And we had friends that were into it. And you were, too. Um, I do. I, I don't really speak to those other friends of ours. And I obviously am familiar with my own relationship with conspiracy theories and kind of the mindsets required to dig deep into them and let them really kind of control your life. And I when when this whole thing started a year ago, it's just like watching it play out like this is everything those old zeitgeist movies and everything talked about, right? Like all your biggest fears about some new world order coming to pass it was kind of like uh, a nightmare coming true for a lot of us that just had like these seedlings of ideas planted in our heads at a certain time after smoking a joint or something with a with a, an impressionable friend or we were the impressionable friend. Uh, so it's been interesting watching the culture shift uh, over on this side, at least. It's been watching like friends uh, getting really, really strong in their beliefs 
whether that's all of this is a sham or all these people don't believe in science, so they're not getting the vaccine or wearing a mask or whatever. And then we obviously have the media being thrown into the mix where they're just spouting out a whole bunch of nonsense all the time that's half true uh, in order to ignite the other sides, make money, make money, make money. A quick point on that is, you know, CNN can report something, report something on YouTube, make a million dollars on the hits, and then when it turns out it was factually inaccurate, they can delete the video, but they get to keep all that money, right? They don't even have yeah. to issue like an apology. And now all those people saw that headline, all those people watched that. And even if they learn later, if they even hear that it was factually inaccurate, uh, if they even hear that, it's still in their heads, right? Like this is like the truth. And that's one thing I found over the last year is, you know, I'm part of a lot of cryptocurrency communities. And yeah, they are very like true libertarian like or crypto anarchists or people that don't believe in the authority of the state and the, the state should never overreach. So in those feeds, you start to see headlines linked in there, which, you know, have a lot of the same kind of doomsday scenario situations uh of all this because the state's overreaching and and it just it's it's gotten to a point where you can't really figure out on your own what is true and what's not true and all we really have is to use the perspective of specialists uh, people that we believe we can trust and that trust seems to be scattered because based on the last 10 years of social media and how influencers have come around and how scientists or doctors or just regular people have built their brands and their trust, now suddenly those are the people that we either turn towards or decide not to listen to anymore. And meanwhile, there's snake oil salesmen in between that because of all this, there's a lot of opportunity to get attention and bring attention to your yeah. brand. So... Yeah. Uh, do you know of that story of the, I guess, the mRNA like inventor saying, "Don't take the vaccine"? Yeah, but th that's <laughs> that 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 dude. I looked him up because that was you know like people should cross information. You know, I I, I tend to check that out and, right. and look at the sources of it. And it turns turns out this is the same dude who was denying. HIV causes AIDS, right? So, like, he might have been brilliant in some ways, you know, like, because, yeah, because he did some good work, but, you know, like, I don't even think or inventor of that uh, that method because he's crediting himself with that, but apparently he's not the main guy when it comes to that. So, right. so I, uh, yeah, I read that too. And I wouldn't on, on that source. Yeah. But anyway, people are seeing that. People are just seeing the headline. They don't even have to read it. And they're automatically going to believe that. Yeah. Or at least someone like me, who I'm pretty susceptible. Like, I'll read something and I'll, it'll just become part of my reality if I read it. Even if it means nothing, I didn't do any research. And I have to, like, kind of put up walls to be like, okay, like, don't, don't let that go too close. Because there's nothing, you can't prove this anywhere. I have no one I do trust saying it's true. But... Once again, in our social media bubbles, we just start getting bombarded by these ideas until they naturally become a reality, right? Who was it? Uh, we talked about this all the time. Uh, Joseph Goebbels, uh, Hitler's minister of propaganda, right? Tell a lie long enough and it becomes true. And so yeah. they, they, people are attributing that to 
to the COVID-19 scenario where at first like COVID's fake, right? And you keep telling this lie long enough and then, you know, suddenly it's real. And then suddenly it becomes more dangerous and all this stuff. And then meanwhile, on the other side, people are saying, well, look at all these people getting, getting told that everything is a lie. They're being lied to. There's all this like meta lying going on and everyone's sources of information are just destroying all relationships. This is always the danger with information. I feel though it's like once you hear something and you believe that, and that can come from anywhere, you know, like even before you had like well, social media and all of that, read something in a small, you know, local newspaper, which was perhaps poorly researched by, you know, poor journalists. And you believe that. And the day after they publish a small re retraction on page 56, you know, uh, and you miss that retraction because they usually do. Right. But but who reads the whole newspaper? Not everyone does. Right. There are some people and it, I think it's healthy to have, you know, I, I know some friends that are, um, well, some acquaintances rather that are obsessed with details. Right. And probably have Asperger's, you know, some of them. Um, but these these people are great for for looking up stuff like that. You know, you ask them, and they will have read the whole newspaper and, and probably memorized a lot of it as well. You know, because they're brilliant like that, right? Um, but I think you know the, that problem is always going to exist when it comes to uh, information and information sharing. What's what's it called? The whisper game? Maybe, yeah. Is that what it's called? You know, like when you whisper. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You. you say something in someone's ear and it gets, you know, like transformed into this gigantic monster of a story that had nothing to do with what was said originally. Right. So humans are notoriously poor at conveying information. And this is going to be the truth, <laughs> no matter who's sending out that information. And, and that, how well is. and that precurses, uh, big profit motivated companies coming in too. And, what you're saying kind of transcends everything going on. It's just like, look, we as humans aren't meant to communicate to the scale, both, you know, in number and in distance and maybe even the, the gravity of the information. You could argue that we shouldn't even be existing as a civilization this big. We're meant to live in, what, 150 person groups, little tribes. So what's Yeah, this? yeah. Well, they say that our, um, our neurons are capable of uh, having 200 active connections or something with, with different people, right? They're adapted for that. So what, okay, if humans are notoriously bad at, you know, sharing information and politics and money and capitalism doesn't help, obviously, how do we, how do we make it better? How do we maybe not solve it, but what are, what are solutions to put towards this issue? Wow, that's... In an ideal world, that's, uh, I suppose, uh, a job for politics to do. But since politics looks the way that it does, that's a bit difficult, I suppose. But I've been actually giving that a bit of thought. And I was thinking of some type of brand, some type of fact-checking thing. But then again, how do you know you can trust that? La, la, la. There's always going to be somebody saying, well, that's manipulated by whatever. you know. Like, So I tend to... Um, I tend to turn to peer-reviewed publications, scientific publications, right? So uh, scientists, I think generally uh, science has that built-in mechanism of fact-checking and, and falsifiability that put something out. It might not be perfect because they don't claim 
for it to be perfect, they, they put forward certain facts about something that they've observed. And then they conjecture based off of that, that, well, this might mean, suggest that might mean something. We're not 100% sure, but it looks like that. And we're going to do further testing, blah, blah, blah. And I don't know if that's an efficient way of, of conveying information uh, when it comes to the world politics and, you know, COVID. Well, maybe COVID, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, you know, for instance, who started a coup in Bolivia, right? Something like that. You know, you turn to a scientist, there were, there were statisticians and so on that did research on that election and said that, no, the, the change that happened uh, in, in the counting system was perfectly uh, predictable within the mm. statistic model. And so they were saying, well, this is in line with what can be expected. So uh, it wasn't a coup, they said. Or, or rather, it, it was, they didn't cheat which was the, the pretext for the coup, right? So the argument yeah. always becomes, uh, well, there's two, I would say, that I, comes to mind. And one would be, you know, they say science is compromised in a lot of ways, or the field of science, uh, not necessarily science, but the way it's done on a mainstream, even academic level, that only certain studies get funding to begin with to prove certain points. Uh, and then a lot of that peer review has, you know, a whole lot of woke politics involved mm -hmm. and whatnot. Do just we need to second. pause? Looks like uh, just, just a second. I to I'm going to play a song by Dr. Death. Here we go. I'll give you the name after. That song's gone. I got to play a different song. We're going to load. Okay, and we're back. All right. So when we turn this into an actual entertainment show, I really got to keep everything loaded with media and things to say in case case uh, the guest needs to walk away. Uh, so yeah, science is compromised and maybe individuals are compromised. For example, those st statisticians, uh, statisticians that are doing that study, maybe they have a knock on their door and someone's threatening the, you know, the new, although where would those statisticians be from? Were they Bolivian or are they from somewhere else? Yeah. So there you go. It's kind of like this rabbit hole where you could always be like, well, there's going to be someone that can find a way to want to blackmail them because they benefit from the coup or whatever, something like that. This is where the argument would always come from. This is where the frame of thought inevitably leads. And I say that because I'm guilty of it. And I can acknowledge that it may hold no grounding in reality, may not be lo logical and far from rational. But I think a lot of us think this way, which is why we're susceptible to a lot of misinformation. Because we just don't friggin' trust anyone in power. <laughs> well, it's I think it's based off of the same mechanisms where racism. Sorry, I had yeah, your, I had yeah. your mic muted. Sorry. Oh, sorry. 
Yeah, well, I, I would say, like, look, look at racism, for instance, you know, and make, make if we make a comparison with that, like, where, where does that originate, right? Uh, I think to a certain degree, it's the same mechanism that distrust, right? You distrust who you don't know or who doesn't look like you or who doesn't occupy the same position as you or so on. Remove someone enough steps away from you and you're not going to trust them like you trust, say, me or, you know, mm -hmm. like someone you know, someone you've interacted with before, someone whose values you're kind of familiar with and whatnot. And so uh, I think we're, uh, it's a mechanism that's helped us survive, survive, you know, and throughout history, because the world is a dangerous place. And um, you never know who your friend is, right? Um, so I think it's difficult to get rid of, of those things. And I think maybe we shouldn't, right? Because um, they might be well, very why useful. would we? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, as much you could, you could argue that there are people in power doing good things, you could also out argue the opposite. And I think they'd both yeah. be pretty accurate. I think this is where blockchain technology comes in and trustless, permissionless technologies that help us operate in society. Because with blockchain, with Bitcoin, I can, someone can tell me they'll send me a million dollars in order for, for a service or something I'm selling. And no one needs to verify that because it's verified in the payment processing technology. It's verified on the blockchain yeah. that that's now my million dollars after they send it, for example. Uh, same could be said for a reputation backed portfolio or a profile, which is what Pele yeah. Network is going to be focusing on in these next few months is, you know, build 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 yourself a reputation that is acknowledged like you have a badge that's acknowledged by a certain community and maybe another community has a good relationship with that community so we'll also acknowledge their badges and you have like webs of yeah. trust so it never it kind of scales horizontally as opposed to vertically yeah, i think well, that's I, I, the only way to perhaps yeah I had this idea uh, when I was living in London, actually around the time you were uh, at my house, maybe right after that, I was thinking about, uh, well, politics. I know we were talking a bit about that as well, but um, voting more specifically in, uh, and, and in line with, you know, app technology and, and AI, right? So my idea was basically, why do we have politicians, right? That's, that was my question because they're notoriously not trustworthy, right? They don't necessarily vote for what you, you want them to vote for because it's built into the system because one individual represents tens of thousands of others. Right. So it's not, that person is not necessarily going to be able to capture everyone's wishes, right? When being that representative. And is going to vote on certain issues the way that maybe half of those people wouldn't support. Mm-hmm. But that politician has to make certain choices. That's the mandate you give that politician. And so my idea was, why don't we have an app that learns your political values and what issues you, what, where you stand in certain issues, right? There would be an AI, a machine learning AI that would get better and better at, at thinking like you or thinking, right? Choices that you would make. And so that would vote for you on every issue, granted, there would have to be some correct work, perhaps, and the problem, and so on, and understand what your position would be. And then there would be a period after it voted where you can manually go in and change the view, right? And then it would learn from that again. So 
and and this would probably have to be online for a while before it could actually take over you know yeah well and you know how uh, but it would always be with your mandate so and you know how people think about well, ai's like oh an ai to vote for me oh my oh, god yeah. <laughs> man i think we're losing you your connection is uh, <laughs> your connection yeah, is going yeah. in and out a lot more frequently right now oh yeah but no, I yeah, thought about good. that too, because, you know, like they say, bring voting onto the blockchain and it's a great idea, but there's so many scams, uh, in between here and the vote, you know, for grandma or for anyone that needs to bring their vote, get, download the app, put in their registration, like between the old system, the legacy centralized system for voting and, uh, permissionless blockchain society, like there's just so much in between to verify that who you are is getting a vote and only one and it's not going to someone else because they stole your phone and they use the app you know like there's so much just to onboard uh just to transition between them so it's you know it's almost well i i think if you look at sweden there there's certain things in place already that could um actually solve that problem because we have what's called a bank id right so this is this is connected to like to a dni in south america yeah yeah, well, I, I have it on my phone and on, on my computer, right? And I've registered this. I've had to go through and register it with my, um, well, the equivalent of the social security number and everything, you know. And uh, I can use that to verify purchases and all kinds of things, transfers and logging into um, uh, government websites and so on. And it knows it's me because of that, right? So it'd be difficult... Well, somebody could take my phone if they know the login, maybe they could do that, right? They could steal it and use it to vote for me or whatnot. But you could solve that also with facial recognition, perhaps, or other features, right? Uh, Which yeah, is happening so I, I think anyway with your phone. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, the biometrics yeah, are big. Once again, it's a, it's a curve that I think most people aren't going to trust for a long time. But I guess with time, and maybe they shouldn't trust just yet, but we'll get there. So, um, we covered the media. Sorry, yeah, we covered the media. We covered a little bit of how the manipulation tactics kind of go and how it, 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 it translates into society. We as people, and we talked about some of the differences between Sweden, Swedish and the American politics. What, um, what is the effect of art? in a time like this and in a world such as the one we're living in, what is the importance of creation? Why do you tell stories? <laughs> I almost wanted to answer that by saying art does not matter, right? Because <laughs> to a certain degree it doesn't, but, but you know, like, honestly, I think, um, well, the, the storytelling is, is part of what the media is as well, right? So, uh, for instance, the, the biggest investigative journalism um, show in, in Sweden, which is on that Swedish public broadcasting network, it's called Updrag Gransking. It's like Mission Investigate, I think is their English uh, title. You can even watch because they do um, they do do it in English as well, or they do English subtitles so that people and they've won like international uh, investigative awards like several times, right? So they're big, they're very respected even internationally, right? And I know I know some of these people. Um, they're good, you know, like their show is good, uh, very trustworthy and so on. And, and, you know, they scrutinize power and, and all kinds of things. Right. Um, 
Where was I going with this? I don't know. <laughs> what were you saying? Uh, we're you talking saying, about um, art and creation. Oh, right, right, yeah. yeah. So, and uh, the, the storytelling. So they've they didn't have that originally, but they've changed their model to incorporate more and more storytelling. So, so you build drama throughout the show. I think that's a problem. I think that's a problem when it comes to journalism because if you tell a, a story with you know a very compelling story. People get, are more persuaded by by uh, pathos than than you know like by logic, right, or logos, uh, which is what you don't want people to be when it comes to important information. So you don't want people to react through emotion, you know, because right. um, if if say you and I uh, maybe we we had a friend who was murdered and so on, we're not meant to sit in that jury. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. For like for the person who's going to be convicted, we shouldn't sit there, and, and for good reason because we're on. We have an agenda, you know. We even if that guy who they put in that courtroom isn't guilty, we just want to see somebody pay for that shit, right? Well, so, ideally, so, we want to see the right person pay for it, right? Yeah, but that's not how people work generally, you know. That but you get blinded by emotion. That, that's my point, right? So storytelling is a bit dangerous in that sense, uh, but it's also a great way of conveying information because more people listen, right? Right. Yeah. We were so. writing a series. I was writing a series of posts last year all about the different chemicals in the brain that <clears throat> that operate with storytelling, from oxytocin to do- dopamine to adrenaline to cortisol, and it's it's really important to know. In fact. When we were talking earlier, like what are solutions to this problem? Like I think education might be the biggest one because if you can't solve the problem of the media itself, maybe you can get kids, a whole generation to understand how it works and to think for themselves. And yeah. soon, I mean, that that would heal most problems with society, I would imagine. Not yeah, just but the- instead of getting fragile Instagram uh, influencers, that's that's what we're producing. <laughs> you know, for now, that's- for now, yeah, it's crazy. Well, I think there's just going to be multiple societies coming out of this whole shit show that is our modern times, and one of those societies will survive. Um, the others won't. <laughs> or you know yeah, with, well, with enough yeah, time. perhaps just just an accelerated version of the political discourse that has been ongoing you know since the advent of democracy not just political discourse but ev- nat- natural selection and evolution as it goes anyway just on a more collective scale <laughs> that is always the the yeah. what would i say the the underlying fabric of it is always evolution yeah. right right sure. so education um and i kind of lost where i was going with that well, you know, educating people so they're better at dealing with information. And, you know, like, I, th- I think we talked about this back in, in Lakewood days as well uh, with uh, how I was saying quite often then that you shouldn't teach people to think critically. You should think, pe- teach people to think self-critically. That should be the, the focus of education to criticize your own position and realize how you your biases are involved in in what you um, uh, what you choose or what your preferences are and so on and that they might also be wrong you know even when you're thinking critically you might make the mistake I mean it's not going to be perfect obviously but but if you're at least aware of which biases you have because you've thought about it and you've reflected of those biases and so on then maybe you're more prone to putting them aside when you're making important decisions right right really good point I think I brought that up because of the chemicals in the brain. And part of that is that learning is learning how your brain is reacting when you're hearing a story. 
So your brain will create oxytocin to develop a relationship with a character. And the character on screen will suddenly become a lot like you. You'll empathize with them. You'll, you'll, you'll feel like them. That's why we cry when we watch a movie or something, because we're really empathizing with a character. And that's because our brain is producing oxytocin. And then meanwhile, you make a cliffhanger or you make a moment where you're like, what's going to happen next? And you want to know that's dopamine. That's like, you know, you want to get that hit. You want to know what happens next. So you keep watching. So couple that with the ox, couple that with the oxytocin and you're freaking hooked, man. You know, you're, you're feeling like you are the character, or at least you have a relationship with the character. You want to know what happened. And so these narratives play out and in these clickbait headlines, the same kind of storytelling techniques take place on a really like a zoom out level where you don't even need to read the article. You don't need to realize people just automatically are the victim. I'll say the victim, mm. whether it's a victim of COVID or a victim of the government or a victim of something. And so you're automatically relating because you know the story in your head. And then that dopamine is triggered and boom, then that creates all this adrenaline and stress. Once you actually are reading the content or you are intaking that content and you realize, oh, this could affect me. And then that triggers some survival instinct where you get upset. And it's just like this ugly circle from something that comes from a powerful mechanism for sharing information down the generations. I mean, storytelling, what's your take on storytelling and archetypes? Where did it come from? Why do humans do it? Why do humans do it? I think, well, I think it's a psychological necessity for living in a society of some sort, you know, and and interacting with the world. So for diversion Um, or for information or for what? For living, period everything it it relates to growing up and you know becoming an adult it relates to having children it relates to dying um, you know living a good life quote unquote whatever that means you know in your context well you know that's very important like you're formed by your society right and and your culture and so usually i think why usually no not usually but i think that that's a, a psychological reflection of those things and preparing you for those things. And, and storytelling feeds off of that because that's how we understand the world. And so a great story copies uh, that, right? That's what Jung and, and then um, what's his face? Um, he was a student of Jung, uh, storytelling, the guy who wrote The um, Hero's Journey. I keep forgetting what his name is now. Joseph Campbell. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Joseph Campbell. Yeah. So but that's based off of Jung and Jung is based off of looking into the mind. Right. So and he but he's talking about these culturally specific archetypes. And so, for instance, a dragon or a mountain or whatnot might show up in Germanic people's, you know, mm-hmm. subconscious. Uh, whereas perhaps if you're Indian, that's radically different. Right. Or so not. Uh, the Chinese had dragons, too. Well, yeah, but they, they perhaps carry a different uh, meaning than they do in the Germanic version. I'm not too familiar with the, way the, the Chinese see the dragon, but but sure, there are dragons in Celtic mythology. And well, if, even if you want to uh, include the the Quetzal, uh, Quetzalcoatl and, and so on in the Americas and uh, uh, Amaru of, of the Incas and so on, right? Uh, that's also a dragon, you know, and usually that's... Uh, what's called the the psychopomp i think it is it's the the bridge between this world and the next right or the the world of the dead if you you so well right right 
So it's again about death then. Yeah, well, that's the first, that's the original story, right? You're born, then you die. Yeah. And what takes place in between? Yeah. You know, the story begins, yeah. the story ends. Well, this is also connected to why we expect things to have explanations, a beginning and an end and so on, right? And the idea of the infinite is quite impossible to understand for us because we are born and we die. Well, and circling back around to a global narrative on what's that going on. We want to understand what's going on. We want to know the characters. We want to know who the villain is. We want to know who the, the, the characters are. We want to know what's happening. What's the beginning, middle? What's the, gonna, the end going to be? And a lot of those conclusions we draw are based off of Hollywood movies we've watched mm-hmm. our whole lives. <laughs> even, yeah. I always, I always. Or, found, or even, even religion. Right, right. Well, I always found the whole happily ever after thing to be silly, like. You're going to get in one relationship with your prince or princess, and then that's it for the rest of your life. And if there has, I mean, I think that's the Mm. most, uh, it's a story that's told that never has really reflected true reality of humans. I mean, there's definitely been something about having a partnership and that kind of happily ever after to make life easier, but not like a Disneyland, everyone was happy and, you know. Flew away on no. a pumpkin, a magic pumpkin. Well, I think, like you, like you say, I think, I think that's uh, related to you know keeping a society together and so on. That those ideas have you know uh, spread in, in stories, right? And and then it, they become Disneyfied in a sense, right? Where everything's perfect and so on. But originally they weren't that perfect, right? And so the the, the Grimm brothers. The tales that they collected were, you know, not Disney. <laughs> a lot of them were quite horrific. You know? Yeah, the kids so, got eaten, <laughs> eaten by the witch. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's some horrible shit in there, but those are folk tales, and and they've come about for some reason to, you know, explain to people the dangers of life and so on, and make them ready for it. Right, right. right. So storytelling is life. It's a direct. Uh... Maybe not a reflection, but it's necessary for life in so many different ways. And yeah, yeah it's, I think uh, I think everything boils down to storytelling. And that's part of the inspiration for the Pele Network Project, which is to get people to understand the importance of storytelling and how you can use it for your own life, not simply to change your own story, maybe take power back for your own story, because a lot of people are just in a zombie mode, nine to five, you know, whatever. Uh, or to recognize the storytelling going on in other aspects of their life, such as the news, and realizing that they're living in a reality that's a story that they're not telling or they're not participating in telling. So that's where mm. that's where all this has come in. If we can create a network of people that are just telling stories their own way for their own purposes, then uh, what what's going to happen there? Maybe we won't see a whole lot of good happen but if we can decentralize the decentralize that distribution it could be it could be a boon for society itself so this guy it could but it can also be very divisive in a sense that there is no central structure that you know like i think we've we've come to a, a centralized structure in a sense because it can create some form of order and you know order in too great amounts is not good but neither is chaos right well you just split that order into more localized or geographical you know sections it's like it's like like, i think it's like what we were talking about the other day as well goes into it this um what we 
comes back to to the point I was making about we were born and we die, right? So things have a beginning and end, and you look for some reason to explain the size of whatever's happening because it has to have a cause. It has to have you know a cause that we could understand. We were talking, I think, about COVID or whatnot, right? And so and and mention, uh, bringing up again the the conspiracy theories, the theorists, and uh, you know, that aspect of it. Uh, when something big happens, we want a big explanation yeah. <laughs> to, to fit that, right? Because it has to be one has to equal one, right? But sometimes, like I said, sometimes it's just a fucking virus. It's got to be the new world order, dude. It's the only, you know, like incompetence around the whole world's leadership can't be the explanation. That doesn't make enough sense, even though it may, even though it's the, even though like every, to me, it makes perfect sense. No, I know, but I'm just saying like, <laughs> you look around and like, no one's given a fuck about politics and who they voted for aside from, is it my team for years, at least over here. And now suddenly the world's waking up to, Oh wow. The leaders we elect might actually have to do important shit one day. Like, look at Trump, right? Like, he just destroyed his re-election capabilities by just completely poorly handling everything about about the pandemic. Like, yeah. he just did everything wrong. And and that was like a wake-up call. And I mean, same with in California. They're recalling the governor because everyone, a lot of people believe he did everything wrong, too. And he, uh, you know, didn't follow the his own rules that he put out for everyone. So, like, yeah. It's. I guess it's easier to just believe there's some grand conspiracy than when you actually look in at all these local cases. You can see that, you know, we're building up to this. Makes sense. What's 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 funny about it is also that these conspiracy theorists don't factor in the fact that these people could just be idiots that don't know what they're doing. You know, like their yeah. their reasoning is like, you mean the yeah, people we elected into power, yeah, the people we elected yeah, yeah. our leaders are yeah, idiots. Yeah. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're sociopaths like, that just want to make more money yeah. and have power over people. What? <laughs> that could very often be the case, and it most certainly is. But and and you know, like when they look at these people, and it's like, no, it's organized. They know what they're doing. I'm yeah. like, really? They know what they're doing? You know? Have you seen who's who's in that house or in that Senate? Have you seen the number of you know like clowns that are up up there? You yeah. know, like. Well, you've heard clowns. there's, you know, the circuses have a shortage of clowns because they're all becoming politicians. Yeah. yeah. I saw that as a meme. Well, there's the same, same requirements. You have to be entertaining, entertaining <laughs> and, and, you know, people have to like you. That's the, that's about it. That's the one requirement. Yeah. I had a friend that like kind of has been staying in the DC area for a while and he went to, to medical school there and he's like, it's just kind of accepted. You get into politics around there and you know, you're, you're just trying to cut deals uh, that the public won't see through so you can make a nice windfall and then work for some corporation as an advisor or something after. That's just the standard yeah. career path. Well, it's like, think of it this way. Like, what are the requirements there? Like, if you had a company, right, and you were to hire somebody, would you put that to a vote about who likes this guy? You know, is this going to this going to be a good guy? Blah, yeah, you want to hire the best person. <laughs> you put up some criteria, right? Yeah. You need to know how to code, for instance. You need to know how to do that, right? Because you're going to be doing some coding, right? Well, as a politician, well, you need to know how the economy works, for instance. That should be one, one thing. <laughs> how does economy work, right? 
how does healthcare work? How does blah blah for a politician? It's going to be a lot of how how does this work? How does that work? Right. So we're shortening down that list drastically by asking all those things. Ideally, you would have a short list of people that are electable, you know, based off of criteria. Right. But then it's something different than democracy, right? Something slightly different. I mean, you still have the vote, but not everyone can qualify. Or if you look at the classical states, like in order to become a citizen, quote unquote, you'd have to you had to do certain things mm. in certain societies. Be a landowner. Yeah. Well, yeah, in Greece there was, uh, I think it was like that. But for in other societies, you would have had to, for instance, serve, you know, the state yeah. or whatnot. You know, go to war for the state or you know serve in the defense of the state or whatnot, and then you would become electable or whatnot. And, and that was back when it was still possible to live on your own, right? As a farmer yeah. or a nomad or whatever. Yeah. Now it's just like you're automatically property of the state that you're born in and you have to play ball. Yeah, <laughs> yeah actually... well, back then, back then you had roving bandits that would come by oh, and back kill, then... kill everyone once in a while, you know? <laughs> yeah, back then you want the state's protection. Like, yeah. that's the whole purpose yeah. of feudalism, right? They protect you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, which is a big protection scheme. (laughs) Yeah. When the neo feudalism, it's just fake protection. It's like, uh, I mean, I I don't know if this is actually all true, but the example is there. And one of uh, I saw a meme recently that said, like, you know, said showed Pfizer and it said, oh, we're not responsible if the vaccine causes problems. And it showed Fauci. The government's not responsible or, you know, I'm not responsible if the vaccine causes problems, the FDA. And then it showed the president. I'm not responsible if the vaccine causes problems, but you're irresponsible if you don't take the vaccine. So it's like it's this it's this big umbrella state or this big umbrella uh, control where no one takes responsibility. But then uh you're always the one to blame, right? It's always, it always falls back down onto you, the individual, not, not the feudalist lords that are supposed to be protecting you. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, if, even if they, they took responsibility, would that be fair? Like if you say, okay, for instance, a politician is going to be 100% responsible for that. Sure. Maybe, you know, to a certain extent, but again, in a situation like a pandemic, it, it'd be, it would be very difficult when you have to put out some type of response towards that. Right, right. Or you can just say, yeah, fuck it. Fuck it. Because I can't 100% count on this, I'm not going to release it. And a bunch more people die, and then you're responsible anyways. And then you know? people are pissed, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So it's a lose-lose situation, you know? I don't envy is. these politicians' jobs at no, all. Me neither. Man. Oh, my God. Me neither. Lately. Not one day. Especially when just the information was so sparse since the beginning like it's really hard to understand anything about the virus and slowly people are figuring it out and now people believe it affects your dna if you get the vaccine and all this shit and it's because it's you know it's it's new stuff it's new technology it's stuff that we're all like hesitant towards anyway even you know if a if a true vaccine passport society were to start doing that it would all be run on the blockchain do you know that like your record would just be on a blockchain and that's cool use of the blockchain technology actually Arguably. Well, that's what they're doing in Ethiopia with uh, student uh, records, right? Through Cardano, I think. Oh, really? Oh, good for Cardano. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So they're using that but because there's been a lot of tampering with student records right. in right. Ethiopia. So, so if it's on the blockchain, nobody can fuck with it. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on, Alex. Yeah, my uh, pleasure. Yeah. And thanks, everyone, for visiting. Apologies for the sounds in the background at times. But this is life. 
Namastê. Yeah. <laughs> All right, bye. Mm-hmm.